0: Wow, that, that building's on fire. That really sucks because it's a new building. Mm. And then like as I was coming back, I saw protesters up on the road and I thought, oh, this is, this is all connected to that. And it, it was really hard not to pay attention, which I think was a good thing. Yeah. Um, for our community and for, you know, especially white Minnesota for us to really take a look at what was going on that it was, it's more than just fires and demolition it's people just going against a system that was broke anyways so why follow a system that's never going to honor who you are as a person
1: sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter and it can look as dark as winter too i grew up in the cold in wisconsin so i understand being physically cold But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast, because sometimes faith feels like winter, cold and dead. Let's get into it. Today's episode, I'm joined by one of my oldest friends, Josh Cleveland, who I grew up with in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. His dad um, died of cancer. Gary Cleveland and was a big factor in my spiritual life and many people's spiritual lives at Haven Church in Oshkosh. Um, he talks a lot about what he's learned been in, being in Minneapolis during the George Floyd murder and protests. He's talked about um, being uh, married, divorced, and then remarried, and he talks about his own um, spiritual journey um, that his dad helped him process. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Josh Cleveland. If you love crab soccer, also, this episode is for you.
0: I thought, wow, that building's on fire. that really sucks because it's a new building and then, like as I was coming back, I saw protesters up on the road and i thought oh this is this is all connected to that and it It was really hard not to pay attention, which I think was a good thing, yeah, um for our community and for you know especially white Minnesota for us to really take a look at what was going on that it was it's more than just fires and demolition. It's people just going against a system that was broke anyways. So why follow a system that's never going to honor who you are as a person. And that that was really interesting. That was just to to see that. And so as far as our family, like Katie and I spent a lot of time doing a lot of reading and uh of different books but also reading of people's posts on Mm -hmm. um, social media which social media got really tiring for a while because it became work it became work to listen to people's outcry Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and and not just scroll past it but sit in it right you know um and that's like the best slash worst part of social media is that if you want you can just scroll on through it and and keep, and keep going about your day. And you know, me as a white male, I definitely could have done that, but I just, I have too many friends here that either one were begging me not to in, you know, one way, shape or form, or mm-hmm. like there was that voice within me, you know, that just was like, you can't, you can't look past this. You have to look deeper in.
2: I think it's interesting. Like me and you both grew up in a really white place.
0: What? Oh yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember,
2: um I just remember like you know try- like it, it's I've had some friends come to visit like from Tennessee or from North Carolina, and they'll be like where like is everybody white? like where like one of my friends was like, even, it's, it's like is is like there any people of color in here I'm like um, not many. And I mean, it's really like, you know, it, I think it's like 96% or something in Winnebago County and it's called yeah. Winnebago County. So, I mean, yeah,
0: I right. <laughs> right.
2: So I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, since we grew up, like in the, you know, relatively same neighborhood, how has it been? Like, have you been on a journey of like learning about racial reconciliation like, in church, or through your music, or, I mean, we haven't talked in forever, you know, it's probably been close to 10 years, which is, like, hard to comprehend, Um, but I just, because I've kind of been on a journey a little bit, but I think it's so much from me living in Memphis Mm -hmm. for seven years, you know, and, like, volunteering at the Civil Rights Museum and seeing where Dr. King was assassinated, like, multiple times, going to that museum you know, literally just down the road from where I worked for a couple of years. So I'm just yeah. curious where, how that is all hitting you or like your journey through all that.
0: Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you know, to grow up where we grew up in Oshkosh, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah, the only friends that I had of color were like Mong and Laotian and yeah. it was just because right. we played soccer. Like that was sure. really the only reason. And the middle school, you know, Merrill, um, where I went, like, there, the neighborhood where most of the Hmong people lived was just right by that school, so they all went there, too. Sure. Um, but even that was, like, there was no, there was really no, like, reason to, like, one, to think that there was any issue, because we just didn't see it. I didn't grow up with people being mistreated for their color, at least that I saw, but I also wasn't yeah, looking for Yeah, not that we it. saw, I mean... Yeah.
2: Our church had one family of color. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like, right. I think that was you know, look, basically
2: it. I didn't want to like overlook somebody, but it's harder than know.
0: Growing up with with my dad who grew up in Alabama, mm-hmm. um, I've thought about that a lot. Of you know Birmingham you know,
2: specifically. Right? Yeah,
0: Birmingham. Like yeah. just wishing, you know, I wish my dad was alive for a lot of reasons, but that's one in particular of like. What, what's different about right now and what's the same, you know, to hear, cause you hear that a lot, that narrative a lot of, you know, nothing's changed. This isn't different than any other time in our history that there's been like a spike in, mm-hmm. um, unrest or, um, a sense of, you know, injustice when it gets a little bit louder. Uh, I, I hope that this is different than what's been. But that would also be, you know, I'd love to hear from his perspective. Talking with, you know, there's COVID that's going on too that I think heightens everything, the political situation that's been just (laughs) like powder keg in and of itself. Uh, And then you add just people just not being able to take it anymore, not being able to, like, don't gaslight me anymore about, the fact that a majority of people aren't racist or that you know we can't we can't discern truth as well as we used to by reading a newspaper or looking at the news because everyone takes their shot at trying to paint the history they wish that it was um i mean even looking at the our history of our country this is something that's been on my mind a lot i mean the way we got to be America was by killing people. Like we came into a land that wasn't our own because we wanted freedom and we took it from someone else so that we could have it.
2: It would be good to hear what he would say. Cause I don't remember him like talking about it a lot, but I, did, I don't know at the same time, maybe he, he did talk about, about race. But I think that's one of the issues is like how to, how to white evangelical, white Protestant, white ministers deal with this issue, especially in churches with mostly white people that they're teaching. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would love to know what what he would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just something I've thought a lot about over the past year, you know, just about a lot of things, whether it's about the political climate uh, Uh, and the idea of, like, truth. And what is truth and where does it come from? And what is it, what really happens when truth is broken and trust is broken? And, yeah, I've thought about that a lot, too, lose sight of, like, where truth is and what truth is and what it means and what also what it means to break it. Like, it's no longer this sacred thing. It's like when Adam and Eve, like, ate the fruit and all of a sudden all the sacredness of the garden for humans and God is just, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And it's it's no longer a thing, and I think trust, is like, to take someone at their word is going to be a really tough thing to do for anyone, let alone, like, politicians or experts in whatever field.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff that I've, like, read that I think is accurate, and it's, one of them is, like, people would rather have you marry somebody of a different religion than a different political party.
0: Yeah, which but, that's a huge shift, at least from yeah when I grew I'd up. Rather like, rather you
2: be like a Muslim Republican, you know, than right. I mean, so that I think that's a shift for sure. Yeah, and then like, what if if we can't agree on what is true in the world, like mm-hmm. racism it exists or it doesn't exist, like global warming it exists or it doesn't exist, um, and there's a bunch of other. Things. But it's like, if we can't agree on anything, if it even exists, let alone if we know how to solve it, because some people, I mean, there's not even a problem, so there's nothing to be solved. Like, how, yeah. like i talked to my wife about this, and this is why I get so, like, negative. But I'm like, how do you get, how do you heal that? Mm-hmm. Like, if, to me, you know, to use your analogy, which is a good analogy, but it's like, well, I don't think the arm's broke.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like dangling so in the way, wind. You're so like, way. it's like
2: no, it's broken now. Uh, yeah. So, like, where do you? I don't know. It's like, yeah. Don't know.
0: Uh, yeah, it's like it's like a total restart, right? I mean, like, I even think about some of the friends that I grew up going to camp with, you know, at WCYC, and and then going to York. Yeah. And seeing some of the posts that they have that I just I disagree with sure but the fact that i have to choose to remember first the relationship we have and that that's more important than politics i mean even looking back at you know what what jesus when he talked to his disciples or people would ask questions about you know like taxes and that kind of stuff and there was always a sense of separation of you know you know, render under Caesars what is Caesars and that kind of thing. There was a respect there of like respect where you are, but also like his whole movement and what he was doing was against what was more important. It was like, yeah, sure, pay taxes, but also don't serve false idols. You know, don't do that. And that's what people were doing and they were losing sight of the goodness of, of humanity and people and the goodness of God and I think being reminded of what that is and that, you know, since we don't have the physical God to walk in the garden with, what we're left with is each other. And I, for me, I have to remember to, you know, it's so cliche to say, but to find the God in other people, to find God in, in my neighbors first. And then if we want to have a conversation about some of that other stuff, we definitely can. But to keep that as the, and that's, of course, easier said than done.
2: Have you had success, like, keeping some of these relationships? Like, you talk about people that, hey, I disagree with them politically or religiously or whatever. Have you been able to have positive conversations?
0: Yeah, some. I think, and it's taken a lot of work. There's been a couple of my elders, um, of course, as I get older, like, I mean, I guess I'm becoming someone's elder too, but, um, but I'm way better than my elders. Um, but yeah, there's been some of my elders that I grew up with that I've just decide, decided to engage with on a couple of things. I think mostly because of the relationship they had with my dad and my mom, Sure. that I, I respect them enough that I think they would respect me enough as well to come with them with honest questions from myself and. Um, and there were definitely times when I was like, okay, I I can't go in with the idea that I'm going to change someone's mind or I'm going to teach someone something because that's just not going to happen. But to go in with curiosity of, you know, why you say this, like, tell me, you know, this is what I know of you, um, and try to keep it that. I think that's where I've had the most success is starting a conversation with, this is what I remember of you. This is what I know of you. Um, And then I hear you say this, I'm trying to reconcile the two. Can you help me do that? And usually it's, that's been a good conversation. Even if they say stuff I still don't agree with, the the conversation has still, it's not gone to like, well, agree to disagree. It's more of like, well, I don't agree with that, but I still love you. Um, And, and I love you enough that I think we can fight on these things in such a way that doesn't dismantle relationship and that I can gain nuggets of wisdom from the other and, and hopefully the same. Hopefully we're both speaking in truth enough that we can garnish truth from each other and then and walk away. And So I've had a few of those conversations with people and back and forth with people where that's been the case and then there's others where I'm like I'm too heated (laughs) there's no way I'm like I'm not going to engage right now because I will probably bite your face (laughs) and that won't be good
2: so one of the things like I always get into a little bit with this idea of like winter fate so like Mm -hmm. growing up in Wisconsin I know what it's like to like be cold Mm -hmm. and I know what it's like to like you know just have winter like 10 months out of the year um and so this idea of like winter and I, I got it from a different uh like a, another book your professor but I just ran with this idea of like sometimes I feel like God is really like cold and distant and that's how my faith feels sometimes mm-hmm. and it can be you know like I've heard it described like it can be like an emotional kind of doubt like you're just going through a lot or it can be maybe like something like philosophical or theological like you're just you're thinking your way out of faith maybe a little bit and i'm always like when people are like oh i don't want to go to church or i feel so distant i'm always like man it's a great place to be like i can't wait to see what you do with this yeah so i'm curious if you feel like you've had winter faith Kind of experiences or desert periods and like what that was like. I know we're kind of changing the subject a little bit, but like, no, that's cool. what those periods are like for you, like specifically what they were or just describe. Um,
0: yeah, what sure. Thought. I think, um, since I've lived in Minnesota, like to put it in a, in a nutshell, like when I initially moved to Minnesota, I was married to my first wife. I was a youth minister, youth pastor, and like working for a church and starting to see kind of behind the scenes of what it can be to work at a church. Some of it good, some of it not great at all. Um, and, and really being kind of spit out by a church, um, with the best of intentions. But of course, you know, there's that whole phrase of like, there's a road to somewhere that's laid with good intentions. And, um, like having that be the case, um, like I, I felt that sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm in this place that I'm just getting to know and I hate church all of a sudden, which had never been a thing in my life. Yeah. And I started going to Solomon's porch, um, eventually and there was just a lot of things that were familiar about it. It was just, we were just reading scripture and the way that they did communion was like, it reminded me a lot of like the, the midnight communion service at, at WCYC.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, where you're breaking bread, but you're, you're not stationary. You're, you're moving kind of among people. And that's kind of how they, how they did it. And I remember thinking like, Oh, this is interesting. And th- their view of scripture too was at the onset anyways was very like, this is God's word, but what does that mean? Like how is that applicable? And, We were, like my first Sunday there, we were going, they were going through the book of Joshua and it was about the time when, when the, when God's people split and there was one half that were going to stay on one side of the river. The other half were going to go on the other side of the river, but they were also going to raise, you know, these two monuments as a witness of, Hey, even though we're doing things a little bit differently, we come from the same place and we worship the same God. And and that really struck me of even looking at. Church now is different, I think, than what it was when we grew up. And, it, and we're probably both at different churches or different spots. And I think that was the beginning for me of like kind of the idea of winter faith. It was looking at scripture differently and looking at, um, the impact of God's word and love on people and the fact that it can manifest in so many different ways, depending on the person, depending on their their interpretation. That God's love can be a sword, or God's love can be a shield, or God's love can be a set of open arms. Uh, which has been something that's just kind of stuck with me for a while. We we've been reading with our five-year-old the Chronicles of Narnia for the first time for her, and so we just got done with uh, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe* and I'd forgotten the way that C.S. Lewis describes Aslan uh when the when the children first see him where they're like it's a lion and he's huge and they're like when they talked about him before they met him something came alive in their spirit and then they met him and they were like freaked out <laughs> you know they're like I'm not sure if I want to pet him or run away because I'm not sure if he's going to nuzzle me or bite my face off and I feel like He has right to do both. And I think there's a piece of God for me that I've I've forgotten about that. I've forgotten that the might of God and that he's not someone to take lightly. He's not a, a being to just say, you know, take him or leave him. I'll take the good stuff and not the bad stuff. Or, you know, that I'm starting to maybe understand what, some of my elders used to talk about when they say the fear of God, mm-hmm. that it's not necessarily like the fear of like him or the being of God, but more of just the f- being fully appreciative of if I follow this, this set of uh, of guidelines and rules and laws and love of human beings, if I follow God's law, I should be a little bit afraid of what it's gonna mean. Yeah. And to not lose sight of that. And I think sometimes for me when I lose sight of that, that's some of the colder pieces too. Because if you walk away from it far enough, you realize like, oh I'm also walking away from all the the warm cuddles from 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 the lion as well, as the the rage and the the anger and you know also the death too of the, some of the things that cause, you know, reading through the o- Old Testament and stuff that still, there's a mighty God there as well, but also realizing that that might isn't just in the violence. It's also in the love and the adoration that God has for us. Um, and I think right now that's like, that's where I'm at. I think in that sense of, of faith and the cold pieces of loving the cold. Yeah. It, you know, the cold just, it means that there's an absence of warmth, but it doesn't mean that the warmth is gone. It just means that you gotta go find it. And yeah. I don't know, there's a line from a John Foreman song. Uh, shoot, now I forget what the song is. Um, but the line is the shadows prove that there's sunlight. Like to be in the shadow. Like you can look at it and be like, oh, I'm in the shadow. Like this is not a great thing, but to remember that the only reason why there's a shadow is because there's light first. And usually there's, because there's light either on the other side or above it that's there. And I think the same kind of with warmth that even there's, there's that cold. It doesn't mean that warmth doesn't exist anymore. It just means you got to go find it.
2: And I think it's important to like have that, like, you know, like it's important to have that. That coldness that big, I, I just feel like there's so much that we can learn from the periods of like darkness, and like when you're going through it, it's terrible, mhm, but um, I mean, I think we're both fortunate enough to kind of like come out of it, and yeah. um I'm curious like what what do you think like when you're in that dark period what has what has brought you out of it?
0: Um, yeah, I think uh, you know. Probably one of the darkest times I was in was you and I had some some good overlap in time. I mean, we lived yeah, in the yeah. place, you know, yeah, uh, we, we at the did. at the the Algoma house and Oshkosh with the the his house and um I think yeah, what we got were, me we were next door neighbors.
2: We literally yeah. had rooms yeah. next yeah. to <laughs> like each other.
0: Knock on the wall and be like, "Hey, uh, yeah. what's <laughs> up?" Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, Um and I, yeah, I think in that time what, what got me through was uh, just honesty, really. I mean, it was okay. a sense of being honest with myself and with the people around me of like, hey, I, I need to reconcile what's truth in my life and what isn't and reconcile the hurt that that's caused me and the people around me. I remember I was going to a couple counselors, because uh, I had lots of problems, and um one of the counselors I went to um gave me an assignment. And I think this was maybe a year, a year and a half into my time back in Oshkosh. And the assignment was, they gave me a notepad and said, write down, every lie that you can remember that you've told and immediately my question was what if I can't remember and they looked me straight in the face and they said you can remember and they were dead right I mean I was just like I sat down and just started writing when I got home and it was abysmal Uh and so Wait, I wrote down that you yourself
2: like lies like everything.
0: Anything. Lies that I that I, okay. I told yeah, myself. Yeah. Like so there was kind of two lists. There was the lies that I told myself, which are like okay. we'll deal with those separately. And then there's um the lies that uh the lies that I've told other people.
2: Okay.
0: And it was just pages. Pages of lies. Um and they went back really far. And then I remember going back the next week and I was like Cool. I did it. That was horrible. He's like, just wait. <laughs> Cause now you got to share them with someone. And I was like, shut up. I'm done. I'm done with counseling. I'm well. I'm fixed. I think we're good here. Sons of thunder. And, uh, and at that time I was just, I was so scared to do that. But I was like, well, I'm going to share them with my dad. So I shared them with my dad. I said, hey, so this is the thing I told you I had done last week. I wrote all these down. And, I was like, and you can say no, because you're in some of these. It's like, would you read these? And he was like, yes, I will. And he read through them, and we didn't talk for a few days. Uh, I mean, we did, but it wasn't like a, let's talk about that. We just sort of sure, sure. talked about what our day was and and then that was it. Um, and I think that that exercise was a really tough one to do because it was something that I just didn't want to do to lay everything out on the floor. But it was also like I was in a house that was burning and I'm the one who set the fire and it just needed to burn all the way down. And that was that last like bit of like oxygen on the fire to make sure that everything burned down to the ground to where the foundation was and and then rebuild from there. And, of course, my dad was, like, a lovely human about it. But he was also, I think because I was his son, too, he didn't let me get away with anything. He was like, some of these are, I had no idea. Some of them I pretty much guessed, but I take no pleasure in being like, hey, I was right. (laughs) Um. But he's like, okay, so now what? I was like, I don't, I don't know. And he said, cool, you've written these down, burn it. Just burn it. Cause you're never going to forget them. And if you really care, you're never going to do those things again. So I think that propelled me on to looking at myself in a more honest way and to be honest with when I feel like I was going down another path of being self-indulgent or selfish or losing, losing sight really of the God and other people. Hmm. It, It became a little bit easier as time went on to see that and also to know the consequence of that action. Um, and not that I've done it perfectly since, but it's, I don't think without kind of that idea of honesty, that I would have really been able to move forward to build something better, you know, in my life and the life of people around me. And I remember right, right before I got married um, and we were waiting on Katie or something and that sounds bad, like waiting on waiting on the bride uh that was I mean we we're waiting for everything to get set. It wasn't just her um but I took a moment and I quick ran up to where my mom and dad were sitting with like that conversation and many others in my mind, and it just knowing like i and I told them I wouldn't be here if you guys haven't wouldn't have loved me the way that you did, and like allowed me to burn the way that you did but then stayed um and i think that's another important piece is that i had people in my life that weren't going anywhere yeah and and i that was one of the lies that i told myself that
1: wow. if i
0: if i admit to these things admit that my arm is broken admit that i've done these things to other people that everyone's going to leave and some people did Um, but the ones that, that did stay, they didn't just, they weren't passive people. They were active people in my life that loved me hard to propel me to, to, to something better to, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for myself and for the people around me, which I think is another important piece to have those people that are going to not just say like, Oh, you're fine. Everything's fine. It's cool. But to like, also say, No, that really was pretty crappy. Right. Um, Yeah, you're right. You're right to feel bad about that. (laughs) Don't do that anymore.
2: I mean, just, I guess, applying it to myself, like, I just think that, yeah, I mean, there's times when, like, in my marriage, we just celebrated three years, and, like, there's been times that I've, like, really... Hurt my wife, and it's pretty awful. Mm -hmm. And it's just like an awful feeling. And to to your point about true people, like you know, she's still she's still around. I'm still around, but also like, um, yeah, like they let you, they let you like good people let you know when you've really hurt them, and then they stay around. Yeah, and I think for for me and you and so many people, like that shame and guilt and those lies in our head, we just think people are not going to stay around because we've maybe never been taught it or, we, yeah. I don't know, for whatever reason, we have a lot of self-doubt. But then when people start to hang around, then you're like, oh, I think that's like what love is. Like, I, yeah. you know, like, I think it clicks a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that, I mean, it's that sense of like, that's how you, you know you have like a real love when people in one in one single breath can say man you really suck sometimes i'm not going anywhere yeah and please like be better or they ask like what can i do to help right. help you you know and i think that's a that's a big piece too and, and i think another piece of that like some of the lies that i at least told myself and it, You know, maybe it's similar with the idea of, you know, lack of confidence in our in ourselves or what we bring to a relationship or bring to the table.
2: Yeah.
0: Is that when we do make a mistake, it's okay if someone gets pissed about it.
2: Yeah. And people being angry. Yeah. Yeah, because
0: I would, like, manipulate a situation so badly because I just, I didn't want them to be mad.
2: Right. Yeah. And there
0: were definitely times when I was able to work it in such a way where if they did get mad, they felt bad about it. Like how crappy is that? (laughs) Like that I did something horrible and then made the other person feel bad about feeling mad about it. Mm -hmm. Like, ugh, there is a special place in the burning house. So I don't know
2: why this. Well, I guess I know why this memory comes to my head. But when I first started at Starbucks with you, Mm -hmm. um, I never worked anything other than at like a Bible store. (laughs) (laughs) Never done retail before. (laughs) And um, I was working with Connor. Like this was like way early on working with Connor. And I, you know, I was the person that was supposed to set the drink down in the right spot to go out to the drive-thru. Oh yeah. He was on the headset or no, he was making drinks and then somebody else was on the headset. And I was, all I had to do was like take the drink he made and put it in the right spot. And I like did it wrong. You know, if you get one wrong, then you get, like, four wrong. Yeah, right. And he's just, like, he just got so mad at me for, like, (laughs) (laughs) and I remember in my head, like, I have a master's degree. Like, why is this so Right. (laughs) I'm so stupid. And then, like, I don't know, maybe, like, a year later, Connor was like, man, Andrew, I just, I thought you were just going to be horrible at this job
0: forever. (laughs) But somehow you've turned it around. You know, it was just. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking kind of, of at me. yeah, speaking family. of Starbucks, I mean that's that was also a big turnaround for me. Was going to a place. Yeah, I had not worked really any retail. working yeah, at Target. At churches, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like where mistakes are super uh, welcome, and uh, <laughs> or at least it, they should be. But you had the CEO. Of Starbucks, you know, sending these videos saying, if you make a mistake, I as the CEO, if I was standing over your shoulder, would way rather you say, Hey, I made a mistake. Let me write that wrong. Let me remake the drink so that you get what you wanted. And he goes, if they get super ticked, I would way rather them get really mad, but have a good drink than be really mad and have a bad drink. And I just, sort of like I remember thinking, what? Why is that such a big deal to me? But it just was. It just like it changed my whole mentality on people. That it was, and then I think that was the beginning of, yeah, you make a drink wrong, someone's gonna get ticked, and that's fine. And you you do then what you know is the right thing to do in that moment. To quote Frozen Two, which my five year old loves so much. Although I do too. Um, you know, just do the next right thing.
2: Right. It it is interesting looking back on those times. Like, do you feel like that period and the overlap that we had, it was like, you were trying to like figure out who Josh Cleveland was like all over again. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, at least for me, I, I just had these moments where I was like, Oh, like I, I do like myself. Like I have a lot of good memories here.
0: Yeah. And then it
2: allowed me to like go and be somewhere else, but also yeah. like still be me.
0: Yeah. That I
2: had like lost. And Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean there's something you know, there's something very symbolic about coming home. Right? Sure. Or okay. as 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 depressing as it is, you know, as an adult to move back home. Yeah. Um there's okay. also there's there's magic in it. There's you know, a, a sense of, you know, you see so many different narratives, whether in book or movie form, that that's when the main character sort of, they remember something from their past that's formative or the scales drop from their eyes or whatever that is, you know. And yeah, I, I feel the exact same way. I feel like it was a, a sense of rediscovery. Um And there's so many reasons why, looking back, that I was happy that I had that time. One, like I needed it. Like, I left after being there for a year, and it was too soon, and I ended up moving back. Um, but it, it was, like, glorious. But then, you know, looking back in retrospect, also, those three years that I was there were, like, of the last, like, four of my dad's life. You know, like, yeah. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. Um, to have that time, to be that close, to see my dad as an adult person, um, like I hadn't seen him before or, or recognized him before. And I don't know if you saw your parents in the same way. My mom was always my mom; she's never a real human. Um, but my dad, you know, <laughs> she's going to listen and be like, "I'm calling him up right now." There was there was one bit of sacrifice that I always have to take inventory of and always have to give homage to, and that was. While I was there getting myself right, I had a daughter who lived over here in Minneapolis. And so this, there was sacrifice there that was made too, but it's also, it's just kind of like, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't change it. As tough as that was to be away from her, I had to do it and it put a lot of stress on her mom because she was a single mom raising this kid and I would come in, you know, like on some weekends and stuff. And But the other part of the narrative too that I always have to mention is that I can't express the thankfulness that I have in God because of how well Harper did through all of that. To have her be the person that she is, I'm like, God surrounded that child with, love of grandparents and aunts and uncles and people all over the place that just refused to let her be anything but who she is and, like, help her be on that path. So, like, it really was tough to not be around, but also I thank God for the time that I had with my dad and also the time that I grew as a person, but also the time that God grew my little girl into an amazing human being
1: that concludes part one of my episode with my very good friend josh cleveland part two coming up next stick around thanks for listening to this show today everybody i just want to give a few shout outs today's music the one and only josh cleveland today's artwork and all the winter faith artwork and digital design dominique Montaigne. the intro was done by scarlet fox and i am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast my name is andy frazier find us on instagram twitter and facebook at the winter faith podcast subscribe subscribe on all those platforms and also we are on patreon if you would like to support the show and also leave a review on itunes at the winter faith podcast thanks for listening and we will see you next week